Welcome, my name is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and we thank you for taking some time to listen to some audio recordings from the pulpit of the Riverview Baptist Church. Our desire is to show the Lord high, holy, and lifted up, as well as try to be a blessing to those through the Word of God. Please enjoy this message, and we pray that it will be a blessing to your life. And if you wouldn't mind to take your copy of the Word of God and turn with me to the book of 1 Timothy and chapter number 3. The book of 1 Timothy and chapter number 3. We're continuing with our series of the pastoral epistles and observing as the Apostle Paul is writing a personal letter to his son of the faith, Timothy. And through this, we've already seen that he, as he's talking to Timothy, we can see that he's encouraging him to be a good pastor to the church of Ephesus that he is currently overseeing, trying to give him some tips, trying to give him some reminders, trying to give him some things that he may be found a good minister of Jesus Christ. We now find our way into the book of First Timothy in chapter number three. The book of First Timothy chapter number three, and notice with me in verse number 16. 1 Timothy chapter 3, and notice with me starting at verse number 16. 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16, the word of God says this, And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up into glory. Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, taking heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with hot iron, forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from meats, which God hath created to be received with thanksgiving of them which believe and know the truth. For every creature of God is good, and nothing to be refused, if it is received with thanksgiving. For it is sanctified by the word of God and prayer. If thou put the brethren in remembrance of these things, thou shalt be a good minister of Jesus Christ, nourished up in the words of faith and of good doctrine, whereunto thou hast attained. And if you're in the habit of marking things in your Bible, would you notice a phrase that we find in the book of 1 Timothy in chapter number 4? The book of 1 Timothy and chapter number 4. And notice the phrase that we find here, a good minister of Jesus Christ. A good minister of Jesus Christ. And with the Lord's help, we'd like to study this phrase, a good minister of Jesus Christ. Let's go to the Lord together and let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much again for you being a wonderful God. Thank you that once again we have the great privilege of taking your precious Bible to open it up, to receive it, to examine it, to look into it. That we can understand what the Bible says. That we can see how we can be a good minister of Jesus Christ and what to be put into remembrance of those that are our hearers. Lord, thank you again for you being a wonderful God. Even now, I ask that you fill me with your spirit once again. And that you would do a wonderful work in the hearts of everyone that hears. Thank you again for you being a trustworthy God. And yet your word is so powerful. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 
And 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 6, we could see the Apostle Paul writing down a purpose, giving something to Timothy and telling him what he desires of him. Notice again in verse number 6, 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 6, he says, if thou put the brethren in remembrance of these things. So he's saying, Timothy, there are some things that you as a good minister of Jesus Christ needs to put in remembrance in the folks that listen to you. You as a pastor have a responsibility to do some certain things that you may be found a good minister of Jesus Christ. Remember the word minister means servant. So to be found of a good servant of Jesus Christ, we understand that the pastor's first audience is always the Lord. That God is always our first audience. No matter who you are, whether you're teaching a Sunday school class, whether you're teaching in a retirement home, discipleship, whether you're preaching a message, a ladies meeting, whatever it is, our first audience to please is always God. But as we're pleasing to God, as we're doing what God has given us to do, we know that there's certain things that needs to be brought into remembrance of those that listen to us. That means that there's some things that we should teach and some things that we should not teach. But remember, Paul is talking to Timothy, who has the purpose of the under-shepherd, and that there are certain things he needs to teach to the folks that he may be found a good Steward, a good servant of Jesus Christ, a good minister of Jesus Christ. But notice what happens when he brings these things into remembrance to those that are listening to him. Notice this and verse number six, that nourished up in the words of faith and good doctrine, whereunto thou hast attained. He says, Timothy, you've studied, you've been taught, you've been discipled, you've been prepared, and you've already attained unto good faith and doctrine. However, you as a good minister of Jesus Christ need to bring certain things to the remembrance of those that listen to you, those that hear you, so that way they can be nourished up. Remember that Timothy as a pastor is acting as a under shepherd, the shepherd. And part of the shepherd's job is to feed the sheep, to nourish the sheep, to make sure the sheep need everything, have everything they need to be healthy and to grow up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. So Timothy is supposed to bring some things as a pastor into the remembrance of the people so that way they could be nourished up in the words of faith and good doctrine. Remember, we've brought that idea of doctrine up before, that it pops up all throughout 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus, that it is the pastor's job to make sure that good doctrine is brought into the people. Remember, the Bible uses the word sound doctrine earlier. The word sound has the idea of healthy. Do you know that there's healthy doctrine and unhealthy doctrine? There's good doctrine that nourishes people up, and there's bad doctrine that can kill people's spirit and sidetrack them and get them away from the Lord. And so Paul is instructing Timothy in the office of the pastor, in the office of the under-shepherd, that there are certain things that his job is to bring into remembrance to those that hear him, those that listen, those that he, that are that he is to pastor the people of the flock, of God's flock, that he is overseeing as the under-shepherd. So if you don't mind, let's walk through this passage here in the book of 1 Timothy chapter 3 verse 16 and through chapter 4. And let's see those things here that Timothy is supposed to bring into remembrance through his preaching and teaching to the people. So that way they could be nourished up in the words of faith 
and of good doctrine. If you don't mind, let's see the very first thing. The very first thing that the pastor is supposed to spend time in teaching and remembering the folks in is this, that Jesus Christ was God manifest in the flesh. That Jesus Christ was God manifest in the flesh. Notice with me in verse number 16. In 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16 is one of the most powerful theological verses in all of the word of God. That crammed in together is something that you could write entire books on just from this one verse. It is a powerful verse that explains about Jesus Christ. If you don't mind, let's examine this what it says. 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16. 1 Timothy 3, 16. Notice the first phrase, that without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. This phrase without controversy carries the idea that it's a common acceptation, that people recognize the truth of who Jesus Christ is. Now, what is the truth that people accept? What is it that people know is common, that's not hidden about Jesus Christ, that is good for us to remember? Notice, if you don't mind, this spiritual list. In verse 16, we see phrase after phrase, this spiritual list of things that we know about Jesus Christ that is without controversy, that is settled, that is well known, that we need to be reminded of. Notice, if you don't mind, this very first thing, that without controversy, great is the mystery of Godliness, number one, God was manifest in the flesh. That God was manifest in the flesh. The word manifest carries the idea of he appeared. He took form. He made in a visible way. And so we understand that Jesus Christ was God that robed himself in flesh. Remember that Jesus Christ did not begin at Bethlehem. That Jesus Christ was God and was with God and created all things. Jesus Christ is God. And that before Bethlehem, Jesus Christ was. That before Adam and Eve was, Jesus Christ was. Jesus Christ is God. But in order to give us salvation, God had to be form himself in the fashion of a man. And so Jesus Christ, who was God, the ever-living God, robed himself in flesh. What does that mean? That Jesus Christ never stopped being God. He never laid aside his deity. He was still God. He just robed himself in flesh, just like we would put on a coat. He put on flesh. He was born in a manger And lived on this earth for 30-something years. Living amongst men. And then he died to pay the price that you and I owed him. But he never stopped being God. You know how we know that? Well, we... All the attributes of God Jesus had, including one where he's talking to Nicodemus in chapter number three, uh, John chapter three, you don't have to turn there. But as he's talking to Nicodemus, he says, let me tell you (laughs) that the same time I'm talking to you, Nicodemus, I'm also up in heaven at the same time. We see that Jesus Christ was omnipresent. He was everywhere at once. Even though he robed himself in flesh, he was still up in heaven at the same time. We know that God, our Jesus Christ, was omniscient, meaning that he was all-knowing. It talks about that he knew what was in the heart of men. He knew what people were thinking about and answered their question without them speaking. Jesus Christ had all power, all the miracles that he did. 
that we all this is to say that Jesus Christ was God robed in flesh. This is something that is without controversy in the word of God. Something that people accept it everywhere and every time. That Jesus Christ was God robed in flesh. Notice something else we learn about the mystery of godliness. That God was manifested in the flesh. Notice this next phrase. Justified in the spirit. Justified in the spirit. Now what this is speaking about. The term justified in the sense that is used here. Carries the idea that Jesus was not a sinner. That Jesus Christ was not a sinner. He was not born a sinner. Jesus, this is why it's so important about the virgin birth of Jesus Christ. That Jesus Christ was born of a virgin. It was a supernatural birth. Joseph was not his biological father. Joseph was his stepfather. That God, the Holy Spirit, was the father of Jesus Christ when he was born of a virgin. Now, why is this so important? Well, the Bible teaches us that we inherit our sin nature from our fathers. So you want to know why you're a sinner? It's your daddy's fault. You inherit your sin nature from your father. Well, Jesus Christ's father was God, who was without sin. And Jesus Christ was without sin. That means his Jesus Christ's entire life, he never sinned. That means at two years old, he didn't go through the terrible twos where he looked at Mary and said, No! Wouldn't that be a blessing? When he was a teenager, he was not rebellious. He obeyed his folks. And we could see examples of it given in the Bible. Jesus never told a lie. Jesus never had a bad thought. Jesus never stole a cookie from the cookie jar. Jesus never sinned. That is without controversy. That is something that everyone accepted. That he was, <laughs> the Bible says, that he was manifest, God manifest in the flesh. He was God robed in the flesh. He was justified in the spirit. Meaning that he was born without sin. And Jesus Christ never sinned. Why is that important? Because if Jesus Christ was a sinner, when he died, he would have paid for his own price. And he could not pay for our price. Jesus Christ had to be without sin so he could pay for the price for you and me. Notice as the Bible goes on and gives this other list that without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit. Notice this, seen of angels. Seen of angels. Do you know that angels have a great interest in the things of Jesus Christ? That as you study the gospel records, you could see the places that G the angels were present in. Jesus, they were present in the incarnation when Jesus Christ was robed in flesh. Remember the angels saying, and they told the shepherds, guess what? Jesus is born in Bethlehem. They were there for the crucifixion. 
You know, all of the angels were on standby. Jesus said, hey, I got 10,000 angels in my beck and call. I could have called them right then. And they could have just wiped everybody out. But the angels there, they were watching. They were interested. They were there for the resurrection. Remember, it was an angel who told some of the people that he's not here, but he is risen. They were present for that. They were present at the ascension. When Jesus Christ ascended up to heaven and they kept looking. By the way, you would too if you saw Jesus go up to the sky and go up in the clouds and look up and hey do you see him anymore do you see him is he coming back down and they stayed staring so long that an angel had to come down and kick him and say hey listen what are you looking up here for this same Jesus shall come in like manner but the angels were there when he ascended up they were interested they were watching guess what they are also up in heaven watching his intercession as he's talking with God. As he's, Jesus is praying for us now and going on our behalf to God. The angels are there watching. And guess what? When Jesus Christ comes to be crowned King of Kings and Lord of Lords and start his millennial kingdom, the angels will be there. The angels are interested in all of these things. They are eyewitnesses of these. They have very much an interest. The Bible talks about in 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 12. That it talks about these are the things that the angels desire to look into. Think about that. These things about Jesus Christ. That he was God robed in flesh. That he lived on this earth. That he died for us humans. That Jesus Christ ascended to heaven and that he's coming again. It says that the angels have an interest in these things. They desire to study and to know them. Because there's something about angels is that God did not die for the angels. An angel cannot be redeemed. He has left redemption only for us sinful man. The angels are puzzled. About how some person could raise up their fist and say I hate you God. And yet they can get saved and turn their life around and worship God. It puzzles them. They don't understand it because it's not given to them. They study those things and it's an interest to them. Without controversy, the Bible says that he was seen of angels. Notice if you don't mind again in verse number 16, this spiritual list without controversy. Great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles. Preached unto the Gentiles. You know what this means? This means that salvation is not only for the Hebrew people. But it is also given to the Gentiles. Oh, isn't it wonderful that anyone can get saved? It doesn't matter who you are, what your background is. It doesn't matter where you grew up in, who your parents were. You are able to get saved. You know the only qualification to be saved is, is you got to be a sinner. As long as you're a sinner, you can be saved. What does sin mean, by the way? Sin is any time we've broken God's law. The Bible gives us what we call the Ten Commandments. One of the Ten Commandments is to honor thy father and thy mother. Basically, we would say to obey your folks. The Bible says that we're to obey our folks. But how many of you have ever disobeyed your folks? This is a time where parents look at their kids and make sure they're raising their hand. Right? Because we're sinners. We've broken that law. Another law that God says in the Ten Commandments... <laughs> Is that thou shall not bear false witness. That carries the idea don't tell lies. Well how many have ever told a lie before? Well you know what that tells us? We're sinners. We have broken God's law that makes us a sinner. 
we makes us a sinner. However, the Bible adds more to that. It says, for the wages of sin is death. The Bible says that because we've told a lie, because we've disobeyed our folks, the punishment we deserve God is separation from him in an awful place called hell. Because I've told a lie and because you've told a lie, we deserve hell. By the way, this is where salvation comes in. Because God saved us from the punishment we deserve. The Bible says in Romans 6.23, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. God didn't want to see a single person go to that awful place called hell. So what he did is that Jesus robed himself in flesh, came on this earth, lived the same life that you and I lived, went through the same temptations, went through the same troubles, went through the same trials, but then he died being perfect and he paid your price and mine. That's why John 3.16 is the most famous Bible verse in all the world. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. The Bible says you don't have to perish. But instead you could have everlasting life if you would just believe on him. Trust in him. Take him at his word. And that message, the Bible says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. It wasn't that God just loved the Hebrew people, but God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whosoever, say who is whosoever? Anyone. Whosoever is you, whosoever is me, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. The book of Romans chapter 10 verse 13. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. That Jesus Christ was preached unto the Gentiles. Notice this, verse number 16. And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world. Believed on in the world. You know what this means? This means that this message was not just for a certain people at a certain time, but this is for all people at all times. That this wasn't a limited time offer. This wasn't a time where you turn in your coupon and find out that it's expired and you can't use it. This is available for anyone at any time. We are 2,000 years removed from when Jesus Christ lived on this earth. But salvation is still available for people today. And we understand we're a continent or so away. Instead of being in Asia or Africa... It is here in America and salvation is available for those who live in America. It's available for anyone at any time. As long as they're a sinner willing to come to God. He was believed on in the world. So what a great thing that when we go to heaven we'll see people who were saved a thousand years ago. And see them up in heaven. We'll see people if God tarries his coming. We could see people who were saved a hundred years from now. And see them up in heaven. Because it's for anyone at any time. What a wonderful idea that it was preached on in the world. 
Notice there's one more phrase in verse 16. And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up to glory. Oh, what we see here is one of the wonderful news that we could see. That Jesus Christ died and, a borrowed, and was buried in a borrowed tomb. But the good news is he did not stay dead. But he rose again the third day. He walked around with his disciples for 40 days. And then he was ascended up to heaven. And that same Jesus shall come back in like manner. We shall see him as he is. Jesus Christ is coming back for you and me. And that is our great hope that he was received up to glory. But he's not going there to stay. He's preparing a place for you and me. And he is coming back to take us home. That is our great hope that this world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. That God has got something a whole lot better than this world planned for us. Oh, isn't that great news? Isn't that wonderful news? Now, as we tie it in to being a good minister of Jesus Christ, you know what the preacher is supposed to spend time preaching on? Jesus! You know where people get their encouragement from? Jesus. You know what sinners need? Jesus. You know what people without hope need? Jesus. You know what people need encouragement, who need encouragement need? Jesus. You know when people need answers, you know what they need? Jesus. That we need to run to the cross. That every message that we preach should run to the cross as quickly as possible. And point up to Jesus. <laughs> if you could forgive the personal illustration, it makes me smile. I remember early when I began pastoring, <coughs> I always preached a lot on Jesus. And when we came up to uh, Resurrection Sunday as it was coming up, I told the church that I was going to preach an appropriate uh, Resurrection Day message an appropriate Easter day message. And one of the ladies just shook her head and said, every message you preach is an Easter message. Why she say that? Because it should always be about Christ. Run to Christ. You know, people don't need messages about how to have a smile on your face, how to have a good day, how to pick yourself up by the bootstraps, because those only give temporary helps. That's like a pat on the head and say, there, there. You know what people need? They need Jesus. They need messages on the cross. They need reminded that Jesus Christ loves the world. They need to be reminded that we have a responsibility to tell the world about what Jesus has done. Every message by a preacher should run to the cross and talk about Jesus. Because Jesus is our answer. Jesus is our hope. You know what? When we talk about music, we should talk about Jesus. When we talk about what we should be doing, we should talk about Jesus. We talk about being a good parent. We should talk about Jesus. When we talk about being a good employee, we should talk about Jesus. Jesus is everything. And to be a good minister of Jesus Christ, Paul is instructing Timothy and say, Timothy, if you want to be a good minister of Jesus Christ, if you want to nourish up the people that you're overseeing with good doctrine, with the things they need, talk to them about Jesus. Run to the cross. Tell them about our Savior. That's the message that people need. It doesn't matter if we're in Exodus. We could talk about Jesus. It doesn't matter if we're in Genesis. We can talk about Jesus. If we're in the minor prophets. We could talk about Jesus. Because Jesus is all throughout it. The message is all about Jesus. And that's what people need. 
if thou be a good minister of Jesus Christ, remind them that Jesus was God manifest in the flesh. We see that there's also a second thing that Timothy was told to tell the people about that if he's going to be a good minister of Jesus Christ, if he's going to be the pastor he ought to be, that not only should he tell them about Jesus being God manifest in the flesh, but there's a second thing that he's reminded of here, and that is that false preachers exist. False preachers exist. Notice with me, if you don't mind, in chapter 4 and verse 1. 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 1. Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron. Now the Bible tells us and gives illustration that I'm not supposed to go run every, after every false doctrine. I'm supposed to tell them the truth. And as they know the truth, they'll be aware that there's false doctrine. But there's times that a pastor has to remind people there are false doctrines out there. I wish it wasn't so. I wish I could tell you today that every church preaches the gospel. But every church does not preach the gospel. I wish I could tell you that every preacher, whether they're on the internet, whether they're in a church, whether they're on the radio, is teaching the Bible. But unfortunately, not every preacher who's on the internet, who's on the radio, who's pastoring a church teaches the Bible. We have to warn people that you have to beware because there are some preachers who unfortunately have a different motive other than Christ. They have something else in mind. Notice if you don't mind in chapter 4 and verse 1. Now the Spirit, this is the Holy Spirit, speaketh expressly. Meaning, this is very clear. The, the Holy Spirit didn't stutter. The Holy Spirit didn't sidestep. It said very clearly, it said expressly, that in the latter days, times, that's where we live on, some shall depart from the faith. Meaning they depart it from who Jesus Christ is. They have a different message. Notice this, giving heed, they're paying attention to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. Do you understand <laughs> that there are doctrines of devils? There are doctrines that is reprehensible to God. There are doctrines out there that teach opposite about who Jesus Christ is. And they steer people away from God rather than bring them closer. This is a dangerous thing out there. Do you know that there are such things as demons? There are such things as devils. You know, it's always amazing to study biblical history that there are three great eruptions of demonic activity in the historical sections of the Bible. We see the first time of demonic activity where there was a great eruption of it was in the days of Noah. That in the days of Noah, there was a great bit of demonic activity. We see that all the way up to the flood and thinking about that only Noah and his family were saved that day and so many people were deceived from the message that could have saved them. We understand that the second great eruption was in the land of Canaan right before the Hebrew conquest. That right before the Hebrew people went into the promised land right after the days of wandering there was another eruption of demonic activity. 
that was recorded in the Bible that was trying to hinder God's work. The third outbreak was in the days of Jesus' time that Jesus did quite often casting out devils and casting out demons. And he dealt quite a bit with that supernatural world. Now, those are in the historical sections. We also see that in the Bible, it warns us that there is a last eruption, a last major thing in the, in the annals of history. And that is the days before the Antichrist comes. There's going to be another eruption of demonic activity. And by the way, we are living in those times. We're living in the times where people are interested in spiritual things and they open up the doors. Whether it's movies like Stuff of the Exorcist. They reported that in the 1970s when that movie came out, whenever it came out, that there was actually a rise in true demonic possession because of the influence of that movie. There was a dangerous world out there. We know that even today that people want to mix things in there. We know that Harry Potter is very evil. Do you know that in England, the, the, count, the National Council of Witches endorses Harry Potter by saying it is a gateway book. That when we get people interested in this book here, they'll be more interested in witchcraft. Do you know that today I read an article that there's a pastor who's reading excerpts of Harry Potter from the pulpit to pull out spiritual um, uh, principles from it. You understand we live in a day like this where they will give heed to seducing spirits, to doctrines of devils. And those type of things draw people away from the doctrine of Jesus Christ rather than bring them closer. We live in a day. Notice as the Bible goes on and describes these preachers. Verse number two, speaking lies and hypocrisy. That means when they're speaking lies, they know that they're lies. They're telling people one thing, but they mean something else. In hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron. That word seared comes from the medical term of almost when to cauterize. That when someone had a bleed, in order to stop the bleeding, they would take a hot iron and press it against the, the bleed to, to cauterize, to seal that vessel that was bleeding. The Bible says these people here, because they've rejected God, because they've left the faith, because now they've paid attention to <laughs> seducing spirits, to the doctrines of devils, that they lie and they have no problems with it because their conscience is seared with that hot iron. It's seared. Their conscience no longer bothers them. They could stand up from a pulpit and lie and knowingly lie and it doesn't bother them. Now, I have to warn you that not all preachers have your best interest in heart. Not all preachers have Jesus' interest in heart. Because of that, there are times that I have to warn. There are some times I have to say that this preacher is not good. You should not listen to him. I'm not going to take time to list them. But the, you need to pay attention not everyone is for your best interest. And there are some people that lie and have no problems with it. Because they're trying to deceive people. Now we're going to bring this home to a point in a second. But I want you to keep that in mind. That a preacher's job is to tell everyone that Jesus Christ was God 
robed in flesh, manifest in flesh, that I'm supposed to preach about Jesus. I am also supposed to warn you from time to time that there are false preachers out there. And you have to be warned there are false preachers. They exist and you need to be warned of them. You need to stay away from them because they're not going to help you. Be careful what you listen to on the radio, on the internet. Be careful what you listen to on the television. Be very careful with who you are influenced by. That if they don't line up with the Bible, they're the wrong people. We'll get into that in a second. But there's a third thing here that a preacher who is supposed to be pastoring the people in order to help them to be nourished up in good faith and sound doctrine. Notice with me, there's a third thing here that they, we're supposed to teach them to trust God's word rather than tradition. To teach them to trust God's word rather than tradition. The Bible here gives an illustration. Notice with me in verse number three. So these preachers who are speaking lies and hypocrisy, who depart, who give heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devil. Notice here the Bible lists two specific traditions that they make. First of all, verse number three, forbidding to marry. Do you know that the Bible doesn't give anywhere where a preacher is supposed to be single? In fact, it says the pastor is supposed to be the husband of one wife. And he's supposed to oversee his home well. Do you know that it is a tradition that goes against scripture to say that a preacher is not supposed to be married? Do you know that there's some teach churches that teach that the pastor is not supposed to be married? But that's against the Bible. But it's their tradition. Notice as it goes on. Forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from meats. Now, there are some people that go against the Bible and say, guess what? You're not supposed to eat meat. Meat is bad. God created the, the fruit, <laughs> the herbs for us to eat. And by the way, he did. But notice as it goes on and explains itself. Verse number three, forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from meats, which God had create it to be received with thanksgiving of them which believe and know the truth for every creature of God is good and nothing to be refused if it be received with thanksgiving for it is sanctified by the word of God and by prayer by the way the Bible spends quite a bit of time where God re releases us from the dietary laws that he put for the Hebrew people. We don't have to obey the dietary laws. That means when you go home, you can have a nice juicy bacon cheeseburger and not feel guilty about it. We're thankful for it. Now, if you choose not to eat it, that's fine. That is your personal standard, not a religious standard. Does that make sense? If you choose not to eat it, that's fine. That's up to you. Some of you like candy, chocolate. There are some people that say you're not supposed to be chocolate. There are some people that say you shouldn't have coffee. Again, that may be a personal standard, but not a religious standard. Does that make sense? And so we can't preach it. God bless anyone who brings that vile coffee. They're going to hell. I can't preach that because the Bible does not say that. Now, the whole point, it gives us two illustrations, but we understand there are lots and lots of traditions that people accept as fact that the Bible does not say. We need to stick with the Bible. And by the way, this is why it's important for you to be in the Bible daily. 
May I also go as far to say, this is why you need to bring your own personal Bible to church and open it up every time the preacher opens the Bible so you can see it for yourself. Because it is the Word of God that is correct. I may make a mistake and say something in error. I hope I don't, and I try to study to show myself approved, but there may be perchance something I say something wrong. You are to pick the Bible over even me. It is the Bible that is our final, not just our final, our only authority for faith and practice. It is the Bible, not our traditions. And by the way, there are lots and lots of religious traditions that you don't even realize it is part of your life. That is a tradition that doesn't line up with the Bible. This is why we need to study the Bible and find out what does the Bible say. Not what I believe, not what my pastor believes, not what my bishop believes, not what the Pope believes, not what they believe. We have to find out what does the Bible say. And you need to know what the Bible says for yourself. This is why you need to have your own personal copy. May I also put a little thing here? If you don't have your own personal copy of the Word of God, let me know and I'll get you one. It'd be my privilege. I have no problems. Bible shopping nowadays is almost a headache because you go look and go, what in the world? It'll be my privilege to help you out and get one. My gift to you. Why do I give you a Bible? So you could bring the Bible to church, open it up, and follow along. You can mark something in your Bible so you could go back and study it for yourself. That you could put a reminder in your Bible. You could look something in your Bible. You could go home and read the same Bible that you saw in church and read it for yourself. You need to have your own personal copy of the Word of God for yourself because it is the Bible that we're judged by. It is the Bible that is our standard. And there are traditions that come up that sometimes we don't even think about. We have to stick with the Bible when it comes to tradition or the Bible. What does the Bible say? And as a good minister of Jesus Christ, there are some times that I have to carve away those traditions and explain what the Bible says. Not because I hate those traditions. It's because I want you to be on the Bible side of things. I'm trying to help. The Bible is what helps us, not traditions. And people who rely on traditions. You know, that was some of the problems that happened all in Europe during the Middle Ages. The first law of compulsory education in America was called the Old Deluder Satan Act. That's a pretty cool name for a law. That was the name of the law, Old Deluder Satan Act. And that law said that we need to teach kids to read as early as possible. Because if people know their Bible, the atrocities that happened in Europe, like the Inquisition and the Crusades, could not happen here if people know the Bible. By the way, this is why there's such a fight on education this is why today we have high school graduates who can't even read their own diploma because it is a spiritual war and Satan wants to get people not to be able to read. And if someone has a difficult time reading, they're not going to want to read the Bible for themselves. And if you don't read the Bible for yourself, you have to depend on someone else to tell you what it says. And that's when it gets dangerous. This is how the Roman Catholic church ruled the world for over a thousand plus years because they convinced people not to read their Bible. In fact, 
if it is according to Roman Catholic law, it's still official Roman Catholic dogma, that if a good Roman Catholic reads their Bible, they're going to hell. That is official Roman Catholic doctrine. It is on the books. Now, in America, it's kind of watered down because every Christian is supposed to read their Bible and they mix in well. However, you work with the South American countries, even Mexico. I've had many people from Mexico and the Latino countries that I say, are you 100% sure if you die a good day, you go to heaven? They say, I'm not allowed to read my Bible. And I say, well, good news is, is I'm a preacher. Let me tell you what the Bible says. And I would take the Bible and show them. But that is one of the laws. <laughs> when, the Roman, when the people began to work on our English Bible, uh, the authorized version in the 1611, they began to work on that process. The Roman Catholics say, hey, it's kind of commonplace for us to, um, to write English Bibles, so we better be ahead of the crowd. Let's write a Bible. In 1608, they came up with the reims Douay Bible, which is the Catholic Bible in English. Then as soon as they published it, they locked it up, put it in a safe, and said it's illegal to read it. <laughs> because they didn't want the Bible to go out. They definitely didn't want people to read it in their own language. Why? Because it becomes a thing of control. If you get people on traditions rather than the word of God, they have to depend on a preacher to tell them what they believe and why they believe it. And that's not what God wants at all. He wants you to know what the Bible says for yourself. This is one of the reasons why we do things in such a way here that we teach the Bible and preach the Bible a certain way because we want you to know the Bible for yourself so you cannot be deceived when someone else tries to fool you. We want you to be nourished up in good faith and good doctrine. We want you to be healthy Christians and healthy Christians means that you need to feed well. Feed off the word of God. And so Paul, as he's talking to Timothy, his son of the faith, he's telling him, Timothy, if you're going to be a good minister of Jesus Christ, if you're going to be a good pastor to those people, there's some things that you need to do as a pastor. First of all, you need to teach them about Jesus. Teach them that Jesus was God, robed in flesh. Timothy, if you're going to be a good pastor, you're going to be a good minister of Jesus Christ, you need to tell the people that there's some false teachers out there. There's some false doctrine. That there are false preachers that exist and you need to be warn them to stay away. Timothy, if you're going to be a good pastor, if you're going to be a good minister of Jesus Christ, you need to tell people to trust in God's word rather than tradition. You need to teach them to stick with God's word, to depend on God's word, to study God's word, to know God's word, to meditate on God's word, to hide God's word in their heart. You need to tell them it's all about the word of God. And they need to be in it for themselves. He says, if you do that, verse number six, if thou put the brethren in remembrance of these things, then thou shall be a good minister of Jesus Christ, nourished up in the words of faith and of good doctrine, whereunto thou hast obtained. And so, dear friend, my job as a pastor if I'm going to be a good minister of Jesus Christ, is to preach you about Jesus, to warn you that there are false preachers out there, but also to tell you you need to depend upon the Word of God and not tradition. 
Thank you for listening to this audio message. This is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and I encourage you to take this information that you just received and make a specific decision to follow after the Lord. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me beg you to take the time to receive Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. If you are saved, I encourage you to make a decision in your life to help you get closer with the Lord. If there's anything specific we can do to be a blessing or to pray for you, we encourage you. Look us up on the internet at riverviewbc.com. Once again, that's riverviewbc.com. Or if you would prefer to call us, you can give us a call at area code 920 Five three zero six three zero eight. Once again, that number is nine two zero five three zero six three zero eight. If there's anything we can do to be a blessing or an encouragement to you, please let us know. We would love to make ourselves available. Thank you.